Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. So, gang, the hardest part of my dry January, the greatest of challenges, was Tuesday night when I was at the Union League of Philadelphia at a lecture sponsored by the Legacy Foundation. The thesis, the theme, the evening dedicated to James Bond beyond the Cold War. And the featured speaker was Dr. Ronald Granieri, professor of history at the United States Army War College, as well as director of the Center for the Study of America and the West at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. He studies German history, European-American relations, the Cold War, and contemporary politics, and is the co-editor of the book The Bondian Cold War, The Transnational Legacy of a Cultural Icon, and everybody was drinking martinis, including Dr. Granieri. Our guest, Dr. Granieri, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Michael. It's delightful to be here. I'm, 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 I'm so excited that you were in the audience. Uh, I will say that uh, as a uh, 
as a as a celebrity spotter, I thought I saw somebody who looked like Michael Smirconish in the audience Tuesday night. Shaken, not stirred. <laughs> and uh, no, and it was that when when we when we walked in, of course, right? The, uh, anybody who lives in Philadelphia knows what it's like. Is we were delayed because of traffic, um, but it was nice that I was able to squeeze in a martini before the presentation. Okay, but one of the things that I learned from you is that martinis were not his only thing. This is true. This is true that uh, James Bond was a uh, was a conspicuous consumer in a lot of ways, as was Ian Fleming. And so part of the the way the story goes is he likes drinking champagne. Um, He likes drinking bourbon. He he just he enjoys high living, which I think is part of the the lifestyle vibe that comes across. That, that Fleming was trying to get across, I think, in the books. Dr. Gr- certainly in the movies. Dr. Yeah. Granieri, you are a serious scholar. You, you are a historian of the Cold War. You're a graduate of Harvard and the University of Chicago. How did this fascination and interest develop on your part? Well, you know, I, because I'm interested in this in, in the Cold War period, and I realized in myself that uh, while I was fascinated, and I still am fascinated by the politics of the Cold War, that... Um, the uh, Cold War culture is so full of these spy stories. And I always was into them. I was always into the movies, always into the thrillers. And James Bond is just at the center of all of this. And so, and, you know, I enjoy, like, I, I enjoy James Bond trivia, as you might have noticed from the, from the talk that I gave. But For also sure. just, but thinking about how, you know, what is the kind of world in which these kinds of stories become popular and and last so long. You know, what do they what do they tell us about the time they're created? But also, what do they tell us that people still find them interesting, and that the character has you know morphed and transformed over the sixty plus years, seventy years since the book first book came out. That um, that says something about some there, there's there's a lot going on there, and it's worth sort of digging into. So I'm I'm not one of like the message kids. If I go to a <laughs> movie, I'm looking for some gratuitous sex and violence and and good profanity in the dialogue. My totally. wife, my wife then explains to me all the things that went over my head. There are many things about James Bond that you made me appreciate. For example, uh, the Bondian Cold War is the title of the book. And of course, he is a Cold War character. But when I think Cold War, I think U.S. or the West aligned against the Soviet Union. And that's mm-hmm. actually not what James Bond is all about. Right. No, it's 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 true. I, this is I owe a lot of this to one, my my co-editor Martin Brown was the first one who taught me the phrase Bondian Cold War. But yes, that that while it certainly starts in the first book, Casino Royale is firmly embedded in the Cold War as are the novels. But very quickly, the 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 stories begin to move away from simple Cold uh, Cold War politics, partially for marketing reasons, I guess, and partially because even Ian Fleming was thinking we want to make these stories timeless. So that's where you get the first the invention of Spectre um, as this uh, uh, organization of evil. But then just as the, the, the parade of, of, uh, of you know, t- uh, megalomaniacal uh, multi-billionaires that James Bond fights, that, that while he, it's all very familiar to the world that, in which these things are being made, James Bond is not directly Cold War political, except you know, every so often. But what is Spectre then, if not the embodiment of the Soviet Union? Well, in going back to uh, to Doctor No, the first film of uh, Doctor No, when he explains what Spectre is to James Bond, and James Bond says, "So, do you work for the East?" and and Doctor No says, "East and West are mere points of the compass, equally silly, equally pointless." That Spectre actually works for both sides. This is something that's that's hinted at in the first couple of films. 
that um, that Spectre is essentially a uh, a security organization that does jobs for both the West and the East, but has a- aspirations of controlling both of them. That's why in a story like Thunderball, um, uh, there is the, the specter is threatening to destroy both, uh, destroy London, but also to destroy a city in the Soviet Union. Or in, in, you, in you Only Live Twice, specter intercepts both an American and a Soviet spaceship. And then this carries on even in The Spy Who Loved Me, even though uh, Stromberg, the villain in The Spy Who Loved Me film, doesn't work for Spectre. He captures both an American and a Soviet nuclear submarine with a plan to um, start a nuclear war that will allow him to control the world. This is Dr. Ronald Granieri, co-editor of the book The Bondian Cold War. This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. By the way, this is Dr. Ronald Granieri, co-editor of the book The Bondian Cold War, The Transnational Legacy of a Cultural Icon. You told yep. this story, and, and I knew where you were headed, but I'm embarrassed to tell you I don't remember the movie. But at the end of the movie... I, I know that it's Roger Moore who's playing James Bond, and whatever the device is that everybody wanted, yeah. he heaves. Go, you tell that story. You do it better than I do. Sure. At the end, it's at the end of For Your Eyes Only, which is one of Roger Moore's, I'd say one of Roger Moore's better James Bond films. It's a very stripped-down story because it's, it's literally a piece of important military equipment is lost at sea off of Greece, of British military equipment. Bond is sent to find it. He finds out that it's been it's been um, uh, gathered up by a, a powerful criminal uh, guy named Christados, and the Christados is planning to sell it to the Soviets. And so Bond eventually, after some great adventure stuff, climbing up a mountain, um, uh, manages to get it, manages to kill Christados. And Bond is alone, basically, holding this device when a helicopter lands for the, with the Soviet officials who are there for the rendezvous. And Bond sort of looks, tries to decide what to do, and he eventually just takes one look at the Soviet guy and then turns and flings the device off the, <laughs> off the cliff. Right. Um, and you watch it go and smash at the rocks below. And, and Bond walks up to the, the Soviet guy and he says, that's detente, comrade. You don't have it. I don't have it. And, and he, he smirks at the guy and the guy laughs and, uh, and, and, and does that thing where, where somebody holds both of their hands together, like shakes them like, well done, and then gets back on his helicopter and flies away. Okay, I remember that scene, but I'd, I'd be lying by omission if, if I didn't tell Dr. Granieri. I also remember the very final scene because I think it was Christados's daughter who wanted to avenge his death and she was stunning. And at yes. the end of the movie, like she drops her garments and says, for your eyes only, James, and jumps in the water. And then he jumps in after her. That is that is that is part of what have that Carol Bouquet, by the way, very important Beautiful. Uh, French actress. But also at the end of at the end of For Your Eyes Only, before that happens, For Your Eyes Only has one of the few direct political jokes of any James Bond film. And that is just when he and. Um, uh, she's not Christados' daughter, but she's the daughter of a of an archaeologist who's murdered at the beginning of the movie. So she had been looking for for, for uh, revenge. But just when they're about to celebrate together, Margaret Thatcher calls to congratulate. Oh, Bond. right, right, right. And there was like a, a parrot, right? That is correct. Yeah. What happens is, is is a very a woman who is very famous for playing Margaret Thatcher on British TV plays Margaret Thatcher, and she's oh, Mister Bond, Mr. Bond. So very proud yeah. of you. And 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 Bond basically has more important things to do. And so after he says. Thank you. He sets the phone down so the parrot talks, and the parrot keeps repeating, "Give us a kiss, give us a kiss." <laughs> and so that, yes, so that's why "For Your Eyes Only" is underappreciated. Okay, very funny. Doctor Granieri, this would have been ill-suited for the Legacy Foundation of the Union League, but not for Sirius XM. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the Bond women because here's something that I would have asked you if I had asked a question: How? How have they been able to get away with some of the naming? And of course, at the top of the list is Pussy Galore. I mean, are you yes. kidding me? Could we, could you do that in like twenty twenty four? It is it is it is hard to imagine. Right? Right? Although although remember as as late as the nineteen nineties, right? Famke Janssen in Goldeneye, the villainous woman, is is Colonel Xenia on a top. <laughs> So you know, I got you. Got to say that the, you know, the Bond, the, the, the writers of, of the Bond films, right? They haven't quite given up on that sort of puckish sense of humor. I mean, that I will say that's part of the 
part of the odd thing. And, and, you know, I will say one pitch for the serious book, The Bonding Cold War, which is several great scholars who came together. We had a conference about this. People write about different aspects of it. Um, Martin Brown has a great essay on the sort of the, 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 the marketing of James Bond. One of the things that I talk about in my essay <clears throat> is about um, how Americans have either tried to copy or embrace James Bond. But one of the interesting things about James Bond is he is, he is a troublemaker, but he is also a company man. He is a civil servant, right, down to his, down to his, uh, down to his designer, uh, designer drawers and socks. That, that, um, and so while there's always this you know, tweaking of authority, um, he always, he, he's, he's always working for the man. And that I, it, it's hard to think of a. It's a very British kind of combination. It's very something. Okay, very but, much but in, Dr. Granieri, yeah. Dr. Granieri, one thing he isn't. I learned from you. He is mm-hmm. not a spy. He is not a spy. Why not? <clears throat> because he, um, most of the time he, he is uh, certainly spies have a, spies always want to say he's not a spy because he he's usually not uh, not conducting intelligence work in the sense that he's not uh, he's not necessarily collecting information and he's certainly not doing the the kinds of things that most spies do all the time. What he is, um, is a special operator. Um, and, and in the beginning, at least, one could say he's an assassin. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why um, spy agencies uh, have, a, have a sort of a love-hate relationship with James Bond, right? They, they understand that the appeal of James Bond gives their business cachet, right. but they also always want to say, you know, there are no James Bonds in the CIA, there are no James Bonds in MI6. I have not uh, paid sufficient <clears throat> attention in this brief conversation. By the way, this is Dr. Ronald Granieri, co-editor of the book The Bondian Cold War, The Transnational Legacy of a Cultural Icon. I've paid insufficient attention to Ian Fleming. Let me ask it this way. Sean mm-hmm. Connery, David Niven, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig. In your expert opinion, who best embodies the character the way that Ian Fleming wrote him? Yeah, it's a, it's, this is a tough call because I think that even though Fleming didn't like the choice of Sean Connery at first, he, you know, and Sean Connery is the only James Bond that Ian Fleming um, saw in action. Mm. And he liked him OK, and he, or he came to like him just fine. Um, in a way, uh, I think Timothy Dalton takes a ba- gets a bad rap because his two Bond films are considered to be kind of uh, uh, gloomy. But um, Timothy Dalton comes closest to the kind of, or, or initially came closest to the kind of uh, hardness that, uh, that, that Fleming has in James Bond. James Bond is not a sentimental guy. But, so I say that, but I will also say that Daniel Craig takes a lot of heat from a lot of um, Bond fans. But the way that... Fleming had uh, the way that the, the last films tried to both show Bond as a as a hard man and a killer, but also try to show him wrestling with emotions as he does at the end of at the end of Skyfall and certainly at the end of No Time to Die. Um, that Fleming had toyed with those kinds of ideas in the novels. Um, at the end of the novel Moonraker, James Bond actually has his heart broken. Something that does He's expecting to run away with Gayla Brand. The, the, his love interest in the novel but when she meets him in the park she's very cold to him and she says I'm sorry James that was just a, that was just a mission I'm, you see that man over there and she points to a guy standing off the distance I'm going to marry him and the book ends with James Bond reflecting on the loneliness of his life um, and and so uh, you know, people people say they don't know what to do with Daniel Craig but I think maybe you know after lots of toing and throwing about James Bond right 
Daniel Craig's James Bond actually comes pretty close you know, to you know, what Fleming wanted. I, I realized uh, in listening to you and listening to you now how long James Bond has been with us. Correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong. I think it's 71 years. And as I was listening to your lecture and I'm reflecting on what you're saying at this moment, as, a, as an attorney, I'm amazed at and I'd, I'd really be curious to know how the estate, because I imagine it's the estate mm-hmm. of Ian Fleming that has to have sign off on all of the projects that have come after his passing, which is the majority yeah. of the projects, especially when you're talking about movies. Like, can yeah. you say a word about how that all works and who's in who calls the shots? Oh, I sure can. And, and, and I, I really recommend Martin Brown's essay in the, in the book for anybody who was who is interested in this. But it is a it, it, it's 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 two different um, uh, estates. Here, right? There's the Fleming estate, which is very important for the intellectual property that is James Bond. And then there is the the estate of Albert R. Broccoli, uh, Cubby Broccoli, who was the original one of the original producers of the film. Right? The, the original producers of the movies were Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. And Broccoli eventually buys out Saltzman, who was uh, troubled in a lot of ways. But but it was a, it was very convoluted because of their relationship with each other, their relationship with MGM. Fleming had entered into relationship with another writer, a Kevin McClory, with whom they had collaborated on the script for Thunderball. And then um, Fleming and McGlory end up having a, a you know, in, in, in the last years of Fleming's life, there's a, a big legal estate. And so there's a lot of wrangling and toing and froing, which is one of the reasons why we've had these couple of, of hiatuses in the James Bond canon. But today, right, the, 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 the producers of the films, of the official films, Right. The one of the producers is Barbara Broccoli, who is the, the, the daughter of mm, Cubby Broccoli. Interesting. And that so, explains so, it. So that is that that's that piece of continuity that continues to okay, exist. Okay. Yeah. Two two final questions for for Dr. Granieri, and thank you for being so gracious with your time. Tr- true oh, or bet. true or false? I remember taking one of those tourist double decker tours uh, of London many many years ago. I love the area for where Bond and New Bond adjacent to St James are located. And I was told by my tour guide, you know, via a megaphone on a bus, that the streets were the inspiration for the name James Bond. Is that true? That is, uh, there are, there are, there's a James Street and a Bond Street, but the, the other story that, that, that I have been told is that um, Ian Fleming was looking for the most bland name he could come up with. And he found the name of a, a book written by an ornithologist who happened to be from Philadelphia. Of all Whoa, places. really? Named James Bond. That oh, my correct. gosh. Good, good, yes. good trivia. That was great fun. I really appreciate it. Good luck. The book is called The Bondian Cold War, The Transnational Legacy of a Cultural Icon. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.